Well, good morning. It is a joy, as always, uh, to be gathered before our Lord together and a privilege to worship Him on this Lord's Day. I hope uh, for you, uh, the last month and a half or so in John's Gospel has been as encouraging to you as it has been to me. If you remember, we began this series a few weeks ago in late February, and we discussed that John's purpose in writing this Gospel was so that y'all might believe. And it's my hope that as we've been going through these stories, by the Holy Spirit, the remnants of unbelief are being replaced by a deep love for and a deep faith in Jesus, and that your lives are being rewritten to tell His story better. One of the things that has struck me week in and week out, and Mark alluded to this last week, is how we could hear stories we've heard dozens of times and still be amazed by the new things that God is revealing to us in His Word each time. I hope that's our experience this morning because we come to a text that is probably the most familiar text in the entirety of the Scriptures. If you're willing and able, please stand and open your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 3, and we will start reading in verse 16. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along in your worship order. It is there for you as well. John 3, 16-21 For in this way God loved the world, such that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But everyone who does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. The word of the Lord. May God bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of his word, and may he grant us all the grace to trust and obey it. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Neuroscientist Dr. Manny St. Victor said that one reason we don't learn new things is because we hear a little portion of something we think we know. And then once we think we know what's coming, we dismiss and we check out whatever new information is required for transforming what we already know into a deeper understanding. Robert Greene, in his book Mastery, speaking to a similar theme, says, The mind must be able to feel doubt and uncertainty as long as possible. As long as it remains in this state and probes deeply into the mysteries of the universe, ideas will come that are more dimensional and more real than if we had jumped to conclusions and formed judgments early on. 
that's applicable to our text today because perhaps some of you have already been thinking, I've heard John 3.16 a hundred times. And so you might be tempted to hear what you think you already know and therefore miss out on what God wants you to experience this morning and all the mornings to come. So my hope for us this morning is that we will stick together and we will stay through the text and we will come to understand ideas that are more dimensional and that are more real than any of us has experienced up to this point. The three ideas I want us to explore together this morning are all centered on God's love for His creation in the person and work of Jesus, His only begotten Son. The first idea is that God's love is more than mere sentiment. Secondly, God's love is more than spiritual restoration. And third, God's love is a reflective love. Look at the scripture reading in your worship order with me and we'll get started looking at our first point that God's love is more than mere sentiment. Your worship order says, for in this way God loved the world such that he gave his only begotten son. Now the reason I asked to look in your worship order and not your open Bible is because most modern translations translate John 3.16 as, For God so loved the world. And that's not a mistranslation, but if we're not careful, we won't get the fullness of what God is revealing in this text. And if we add that subtle mistranslation into our modern cultural understanding of the word love, then we are going to be in real danger of missing out on the reality that God's love is more dimensional and more real than we may have previously realized. So again, that better translation is, for this is the way God loved the world, such that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, if we translate it this way, we see God's love is not like ours. God's love is not mere sentiment, but it's a love that leads to sacrificial action. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller quotes Ernest Becker, who says, Our society has fallen prey to what he calls apocalyptic romance. Our culture, even in our church culture, we've redefined biblical love into some vague, subjective, mystical, and emotional experience. You and I are not immune to this. We too are tempted to believe the lie that love is some feeling that I have. And because, in our minds anyway, everyone deserves love, once we don't feel love anymore, then we owe it to ourselves to pursue that feeling again, whatever the cost may be. You may have seen this. People pursue this feeling of love even though it might cost them their marriage, their friendships, their children, or their church family. Perhaps some of you are products of homes where the parents got divorced for the good of the children because it's better for the children that the parents are happy. Well, the ability to tell and to believe that lie is a product of our misunderstanding of what love looks like. So even though it may wreck everything we once thought we loved, we will pursue that feeling again and again, never feeling satisfied, always feeling wanting. It's this pursuit of that 
inner emotion that often destroys everything that gets in our way. So I don't think Becker's definition or this new idea of love as apocalyptic romance or destructive love is a bad one at all. But that's not the way God loves. When we read God so loved the world, we should not read it to mean for God had an extreme emotional connection to the world. So He sent Jesus to give us an example of what strong emotion looks like. That's not love. And while it is true that God has a deeper emotional connection to His world than any of us ever could, it's not that pursuit of an emotional connection that determines or drives His love. God isn't controlled by His passions like we are. God's love is an independent love, it's a sacrificial love, and it's restorative. It's not dependent, it's not selfish, and it's not destructive. If you think about it, In the Trinity, God's love was perfect within Himself without us. And yet He did and He does love the world that He created in a very real way. Let's look. Jesus' language in John's Gospel reveals what His love looks like. The one thing we also have to remember is that Jesus is still responding to Nicodemus' questions. How can these things be? How can Jesus be doing the things that He is? How can He make the claims that He makes? How can mankind get a fresh new start after everything that we've messed up? How can a man have no ultimate power to make himself born again and yet be responsible for being born from above? It's those types of questions that led to this portion of Jesus' answer. These things are possible because out of His love for the world... God sent Him, Jesus, His only begotten Son, into the world. If God's love were merely sentimental, He could have kept starting over with new generations. He could have kept sweeping the earth clean with floods or plagues or by raising up new armies to wipe out rebellious nations. If God's love was an emotion only, He could have kept His distance, kept accepting the blood of bulls and goats, and kept lifting snakes up in the wilderness. For God to do this would have been right and it would have been good. But God's love took Him infinitely further. He literally put skin in the game by sending His Son. So the answer to Nicodemus is Jesus can do what He does because He's born of the Spirit. He can make the claims that He makes because He is the sent one, God in the flesh. Mankind can get their new birth by believing in the Son of God. And that faith is a gift of this love-giving God. He's not a standoffish God. He's not a a God who loves in word only, but a God who loves in deed and truth. God's love was such for the world that He sacrificially acted on His love to do something that we could not do for ourselves. That's what love looks like. But the skeptic might ask, we all know them, if God loves the world so much, why would He allow all the brokenness in the first place? The skeptic in me was tempted to ask that very thing this week. This week, Rachel's cousin unexpectedly lost her baby at 39 weeks. 
Rachel's sister lost a friend who had a six-month-old and a husband who had loved her long before she ever knew who he was. Some of you have experienced similar things recently. Sick kids, dying family, brokenness all around. This week alone, over a million people, men, women, and children have died. Some of them horrific, violent, agonizing deaths. Already this month, there have been earthquakes. There have been tsunamis and tornadoes and snowstorms. There have been wars and rumors of wars. Pictures surface this week of girls, someone's daughters and sisters, that had been kidnapped and sold into slavery over two years ago. And this is the first evidence that they had any clue they were even alive. Our political landscape continues to slide further into idiocracy as some of our most popular leaders threaten amongst cheers to rip families from their homes and send them into harm's way, while others promise to give women the right to continue to murder their children by the millions and enslave the poor by making and keeping them utterly dependent. So even if you never doubt, surely you have to understand how the skeptic might doubt our claim that God loves the world. And that brings us to our second point. Secondly, we have to understand God's love is more than just spiritual restoration. One of the dangers of making God's love purely emotive and making John 3 just about getting yourself born again is that both ideas give the impression that God's love only brings about some vague spiritual restoration. Just like there's a danger in the church to make God's love reflect apocalyptic romance, so too are we in danger of making salvation only a spiritual experience. We give the skeptic reason to believe that none of this God is love talk is actually real. Gnostic tendencies to make salvation about escaping this world, freeing our soul, and living forever in heaven are a rampant problem in the church. But this isn't the biblical ideal that God's Word has for us. Salvation is more real and it's more dimensional than that. Look at verse 17 and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So first off, one answer we could give the skeptic, and admittedly it's not the most palatable one, is found in these verses. Jesus could have come to put an end to all things, to judge everyone who didn't trust Him, skeptics included, because they are already condemned under sin. God did not break the world. And God is under no obligation to fix the world that we broke. He's given us grace upon grace upon grace. We all know what we ought to do, and we don't do it. We all know what we ought not to do, and we do it anyway. 
We know we shouldn't pursue destructive love, yet we do it anyway, whether physically or mentally or emotionally. We know we should trust and rest in God, yet we toil with anxiety and fear. We know we should love our neighbor as ourselves, yet we demand our neighbor work for us on the Lord's day. Or we slander and gossip about our co-workers. We know we should honor our parents, love our enemies, tell the truth, and be satisfied with everything God has given us. Yet we don't do any of these things all the time with pure motives. So God sent His Son. And while it is true that this is the primary reason that God sent His Son into the world to save sinners from their sin and to restore their relationship with their Creator, there is more to God's love than that spiritual restoration. If you look in the worship order at the last line of our Scripture reading, part of God's promise to Abraham was that in His offspring all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So remember, God has just asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loved. And he asked him to do that to show that he loved God with more than just his emotions. And then Abraham did it. And because Abraham trusted God and he loved him in deed and truth, God delivered Abraham and his offspring. And he prolonged his family line. And then at the end of that verse, it says he did it for the purpose of eventually blessing the whole world. And then we come to John 3, where in the skeptic's dismay, we see God doing more than he demanded from Abraham. Rather than just ask that any beloved son be sacrificed, God sent his son. His only Son, whom He loved, to keep His promise to Abraham and to make sure that His offspring would be a blessing for the whole world. So yes, God's love results in spiritual restoration, but God's love for the world and the sending of His Son results in blessings for all the inhabitants of the earth. And as we'll see, even the eventual physical restoration of the world. The word in our text today for world that John uses is cosmos. And it's the same word he uses in John chapter 1, 9 and 10 when he said of Jesus, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the cosmos. He was in the cosmos, and the cosmos was made through him. Our spiritual lives aren't the only thing that's broken. Look at your body. Don't cry. Our physical bodies are breaking down too. The physical world is heating up, regardless of your political beliefs, and breaking down. And we're at fault for that brokenness too. But God sent His Son to fix even that. God sent His Son to restore the physical world as well, to fix what we have broken. So we can tell the skeptics in our life and the skeptic in our heart that God doesn't owe the world anything. We broke it, but He does love the world and He promises to fix what we broke, spiritual and physical, through the person and work of Jesus. Because Jesus died a 
physical death and rose and ascended with a physical body. We can trust Him when He promises to restore the physical world upon His return. No more physical death. No more broken world. The intertwining earlier of love with action and with spiritual and physical brings us to our third and final point. God's love is a reflective love. Look at verses 19 through 21 with me. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Now again, these are Jesus' last words in response to Nicodemus. And it should sound familiar to you. We just read in John 1, 9 that Jesus was the true light who had come into the world, the very cosmos that He had made. But we didn't read verse 11 where John tells us that God's people didn't receive Him. John tells us there that His own people didn't receive Him. And Jesus tells us here why they didn't receive Him. Why didn't they receive Jesus? Well, they loved darkness rather than light. They preferred their apocalyptic romances to sacrificial love. They didn't want Jesus coming into the world. They didn't want Him overturning their tables. They didn't want Him shining light into the dark places. And so they refused to come to Him. They refused to come to the light. Now we can read this in a few ways. We can read it as Jesus challenging Nicodemus. Now, if you remember way back uh, to the beginning of last week, Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night in the dark. And so we could read this as Jesus telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be embarrassed of me. You have to be willing to come to me during the day. Come into the light. And if you do come into the light, then that will be evidence that this work of you coming to me is a work of God. So that's one thing he could be telling Nicodemus here. Another thing um, that he could be telling Nicodemus, he could be affirming Nicodemus because he already came out of darkness to the light. Jesus could be telling Nicodemus that his coming to Jesus already was evidence that God had already done a work in him by showing him the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus, something he could have never seen without God already doing a work in his heart. Remember, he had asked, how can this be? How can someone be born from above? And so Jesus could be saying something like, what has happened to you must happen to all the people you're responsible for as a religious leader. God must do to them what He's done to you. God brought you out of darkness to me. And you, as premier theologian, must tell your people these things. You must reflect to them the same light that has been reflected to you. Or, and this is kind of where I land, John could be telling this story to imply both things for you. If you remember, every story John tells is so that y'all might believe. Either for the first time, 
or all over again. So suspend doubt. Suspend and live in the uncertainty of what you think long enough to probe into the mysteries of the cosmos so that you might experience something more dimensional and more real than ever before. God's love for you in Christ. That's what I think is happening here. This story is here so that y'all might believe. If you don't believe, if you're a skeptic who is hanging out in the outer darkness, refusing to come into the light for fear that your works will be exposed by Jesus, then I can promise you, He will expose you. He will reveal the darkness in your heart and He will reveal your destructive loves. But if you believe in Him, you will not perish. You will have eternal life. You will receive the promises of God and you will begin to be restored spiritually and you will experience the resurrection and restoration that awaits the material world as well. On the other hand, if you already believe and if you're wondering how you came to Jesus... How could anyone be born from above? John gives us this story so that we will believe the deep reality that we didn't and we couldn't cause ourselves to be born again. If in fact we are in Christ, it is a miraculous work of God and our whole life is meant to be carried out in His presence. We who believe are called to reflect this light that the Lord has lit in our hearts. His love is reflective and your love should look like His love. This is not mere feeling, not mere sentiment. A sacrificial love is what your love should look like. A love for God's people and a love for the world that costs you something. If your love isn't costing you something, it might not be biblical love. I would venture to say it is not. We are to be an instrument of spiritual restoration as we spread the gospel and as we tell people about the good life in Christ. You too are to be instruments of physical restoration as you take care of the environment, submit to the authorities, and work well for the glory of God. Now I want to say I'm thankful to God for this little body's reflection of God's love to the world. You are sacrificing to love children. You're sacrificing to leave your families for the good of the body. And you're doing countless other things out of love for one another. And I'm thankful to God for you. Let's excel and reflect still more. To reflect this kind of love will cost us something, for it will cost us our whole lives. But to love like this will never cost us something God wasn't willing to give Himself.